Okay, I know you just sat down, but if you're able to, get back up on your feet one more time. Those of you that are joining us uh, from your living rooms or wherever, stand up with us. You know, I know uh, just with rising COVID numbers and some of the new restrictions, uh, many of you are watching online just to be safe, and we commend you for that. We are one congregation, so I want the in-person crowd to give it up for the online crowd this morning. We just, yeah, we're one group here, one church. Let's make this our confession together. Say it with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we're looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hallowed be your name, O God. Hallowed be your name, O God. Sanctify your name in our midst. Sanctify your name in our midst and sanctify our lives as you sanctify your name. Lord, we thank you that this is the story that we are caught up in. We thank you that our story is not meaningless. It's not random. It's not chaotic. However much it may seem to be that way on the surface, that is not the depth of reality. The depth of reality is that Jesus is Lord. And so we're here this morning because we need to hear the gospel afresh. We're here this morning because there's too much of our lives still that is not aligned with the gospel. And so we pray that your word, Jesus, in John 17, you said of your disciples, sanctify them, O God, by the truth. Your word is truth. And it turns out that you are the word of God. <laughs> so we pray that you would walk in our midst, word of God, Jesus the Lord, sanctifying our lives making them reflect heaven again. Grant it, we pray. We ask that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. Revelation is coming in for a landing here. Revelation 21, hear the word of the Lord from the lips of St. John the seer. Then I saw, he says, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her, her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, <laughs> look, God's dwelling place is now where? And he will dwell 
with them, among the people. Everybody say, among the people. And he will dwell with them. Say, with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then he was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God. What is the substance of the Christian hope? When we dream about the future that God will one day bring, what do we dream of? When we read the scriptures and we let the scriptures paint for us a picture of what will one day be, what is it that what will one day be? And John is giving us a glimpse of it here, a new heaven and a new earth, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the dwelling of God is where? It's among the people and he will dwell where? With them. Too much Christian piety and belief for 2,000 years has made it seem as though the substance of the Christian hope is to one day evacuate this place to go be somewhere else. That this place is too hopelessly confused and it's too broken and it's too messed up and the work of God in Christ is a rescue operation to try to get us up out of here just before the world burns. And, um, well, when you read the scriptures, that's not the story, is it? In fact, when you read the scriptures, what you find is that the direction of the scripture, the direction of biblical hope, runs exactly, not just sort of, but exactly the opposite direction of where a lot of Christians for 2,000 years have put their hope. Think about Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, the great pains, the labor that God goes through to make the heavens and the earth and to make them beautiful and coherent and fruitful and life-giving, to make the little garden that he puts in there, the Garden of Eden and the first pair, Adam and Eve, and all that he creates for them. After he has created all of this, we run into this very interesting and beautiful moment in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 where the scripture says that the man and his wife heard what? The sound of the Lord God as he was doing what? Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You get the impression that God made everything so that he could do that. I've made you. I've built this garden cathedral, this garden home for you, but not just for you, but also for me. And I will be your God and you will be my people, and I will walk among you. And however much evil happens in the Old Testament text, the thing that you begin to realize is that God never abandons the dream of being God with his people here. Listen to Isaiah chapter 65. It'll become obvious to you as you read this with, with me that John is borrowing heavily from Isaiah 65 when he writes Revelation 21, listen to Isaiah. 
See, I will create, the Lord says, new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will delight or rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will do what? Yeah, you all paying attention this morning? Are we together? Is the, okay. What are they going to do in the new heavens and the new earth? Why are they going to build houses? To live in them. Wait, what? This is very different than the vision of the... The end that most of us have been given. Most of us have been given a vision of the end where what we do is one day we escape these degraded bodies and we become spirits sitting on the clouds. Maybe we have wings or something like the angels. Wouldn't that be cute, you know? And harps, that's what we're doing. Somewhere out there, somewhere over the rainbow, you know. But, <laughs> but in the prophets, the vision of where God is taking the created order is not a vision of escape, but it's, well, it's a vision of habitation, of communion, of presence. It's material. It's physical. It's made up of the stuff that we are made up of now. Because for Isaiah and the new heavens and the new earth, we're building houses in order to dwell in them and we'll plant vineyards. And what are we going to do? Eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and have other people live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Wait, there's going to be like work in the new heavens and the new earth. But here's the deal, is that they won't labor in vain. You know, the stuff that we do now that feels so futile, that's, that'll be gone in the new heavens and the new earth. And they won't bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people who are blessed by the Lord. And they and their descendants with them, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. In the new heavens and the new earth, the wolf and the lamb, these competing forces will live together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the dust will be the serpent's food. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Most of us have been given a vision of the new heavens and the new earth that has nothing to do actually with this heavens and this earth. What we think is that, you know, the first creation God made it and it was good and he loved it. It is good, it is good, it is good. But then the, human, the first humans failed and God got mad. So what he did is he put together a plan to try to get people out of this desperate thing to go be there somewhere up there in the heavens in this kind of disembodied state where we all kind of float around wraith-like singing God's praises. And then we actually read the Bible. <laughs> then we realize that it's so very different. That when Isaiah dreams about the future, what he dreams about is building houses, physical things, and living in them. He dreams about us planting vineyards and enjoying their fruit. Maybe we'll make wine in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know. Seems feasible to me. Either way, the imagined future of God and his people in the Bible, it's not disembodied and it's not spiritual, but it's relentlessly materialistic. I know, this is like a weird sermon. Here we go, New Life East, preaching weird messages at you. It's relentlessly materialistic, guys. The stuff that God makes us out of, he doesn't hate. What he has made on planet Earth, he has made in order to move in with us. Creation 
was designed to be like a love nest for God and his people. This is where we'll camp out forever. And when you think about it, this is actually built very deeply into the substance and the structure of our faith. Think about what we say in the second stanza of the creed, that we believe that the Lord Jesus, who is God from God and light from light, he took a body, a body. Will God ever undo the incarnation? No. He took a body because he loves these bodies of ours that he has made. He moved in among us because he loved this world that we live in. Jesus suffered death upon the cross. He was buried, raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And this creed says that he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and that we will go there one day and leave behind this terrible world behind. And Now, what does it say? He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he will, where? Here in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. The imagined future of God with his people is not there, but it's It's here. It's here. Think about the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, what? Come. Thy will be where? As it? Oh, guys. That's what we're heading towards. A future where the dwelling of God is with people and he will live with them. A future in which God's name is perfectly hallowed on planet earth. A future in which the will of God is perfectly done on planet earth. A picture of life here where the kingdom of God is not hidden and not veiled, but it's arrived on planet earth just as it always exists in heaven. So one day, fully, the prayer that we pray, that Jesus taught us to pray, that prayer, brothers and sisters, will be answered. I got news for you. Prayers that Jesus offers to his Father are not going to be denied. And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The imagined future of God and his people is relentlessly materialistic. It's about this world being bathed in divine presence. It's about this world being rescued from corruption. It's about this world having the the blot and the stain of sin driven out of it so that its true nature can shine forth before God. It's relentlessly materialistic. You say, Andrew, I'm not too sure about that. You haven't given me enough proof yet from the Bible. How about this? Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 36, Jesus is raised from the dead. He has passed through death and he stands triumphantly now on the other side of death. And the scripture says that while the disciples were still talking about this, a couple of them have met him on the road to Emmaus. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, he said. It's I myself touch me and see a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 41, and while they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, this is maybe my favorite resurrection scene in all of the gospels. They are all staggered by what they've seen. Wait, he's actually alive and he still has the nail marks in his hands and his feet and his side. He's still wounded. And blood is not leaking out. How does he live? Well, 
He lives by the direct power of God, and yet he doesn't live as a ghost, does he? He lives as a human being who has been set beyond death forever, and they're all staggered by this, and as if their befuddlement at all of this was not enough, what does Jesus do? I'm hungry. Do you have anything here to eat? I don't know. Here's a McFish, you know? Are good. I haven't had those in a while. The steamed bun, that's a nice sandwich. You know? But they gave him a, pit, a piece of broiled fish, and he took it. Wait, what? Sin and death in the grave have been buried in your body. You have passed through hell, and now you stand on the other side of it, and you've got, like, the leisure to eat fish. Why, why, why would you do this? One of the great thinkers of the church, Thomas Aquinas, many centuries ago, was wrestling with this very text. And Thomas was one of the, the most careful thinkers the church has ever seen. Overturned every issue, every question, trying to puzzle it all out. And finally Thomas gets to the place where he goes, well, certainly Jesus doesn't do this because of need. I mean, he lives bloodlessly, you know, from the very power of God. He doesn't really need to eat to sustain his life. Why, why does he do this? And you know what Thomas says? He does it because he likes fish. I love that. What do you love? You know, art. There will be art in the new heavens and the new earth. What do you love? Good music. Oh, baby, I got news for you. The heavens and the earth will ring with the music of the spheres and the new heavens and the new earth. What do you love? You love sitting around the fire with your friends and talking about old times. Welcome to the new heavens and the new earth. What do you love? You love standing by the seashore and watching the waves crash against it. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the new heavens and the new earth. All of your loves, all of your passions, all that you are as a human being except for sin will be carried into the new heavens and the new earth, will arrive here. See, the Christian hope is not that one day we will flee earth to go to heaven. The Christian hope is that one day heaven will flood earth, making all things new. That's what we're headed for. And it's not just our personal hope for our personal lives either. It's the hope for our whole world. But this is what God is going to do, not just for us, because we happen to be in the Jesus Club, and God loves people in the Jesus Club. It happens to be the case that what he's doing with our lives now, making our lives new now, he'll push out into the cosmos to make it new. Do you see, that's where we're going. That whole sequence that we went through in Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, all the way through chapter 20, and those waves upon waves upon waves of judgment, what were those judgments for? See, sometimes what we think about God is that there's kind of the nice people over here that God really likes, and then there's kind of the bad people over here that God really hates, and he judges them. To... Now, what God does is he judges in order to save. You know what the judgments are? The judgments are what happens when the goodness of God comes flooding into the world. The judgments that we saw in Revelation aren't God being mad and frustrated with the world. The God judgments that we saw in Revelation are God healing his world. Because he loves this place. 
because he loves the music as much as you do and he loves the art as much as you do because he loves the good conversation as much as you do because he loves the dirt as much as you do because those of you that are runners in this place, he loves running as much as you do and so he's trying to burn bummed knees out of his world. God is fixing this place. (laughs) That's our hope. It's our hope. And what judgment is, is judgment is God washing everything that stains this world out of it. My sister was diagnosed with leukemia when she was nine years old. They put her right then. She was like 98% bad white blood cells. They put her on this dramatic regimen of chemotherapy right then and there and a whole bunch of other treatments. What were they doing? Was the chemotherapy a punishment for her? It's her salvation. She lives two years later. They gave her a clean bill of health. She lives to this day. I want to suggest to you that that is what God is doing with this world. And that's the hope that we carry in our hearts. When we come into worship like this, one of the things that we experience is we experience the presence of God, don't we? And that experience of the presence of God, it does a couple things to us. On the one hand, there are times that the experience of the presence of God, it almost bites in our hearts. We realize that there are places in our lives that are out of whack. They don't match up with the reality of the kingdom. And so we repent in those spaces. But you know what else happens when we experience the presence of God? We're renewed by it. We're renewed by it. God's dream is that what happens to us in worship will one day flood out from the house of worship into the heavens and the earth, making them new. Are you with me this morning, brothers and sisters? That's our hope. You know, the people that don't know Jesus, the question that they're asking is, is there any hope for my family? Is there any hope for my job? Is there any hope for my business? Is there any hope for my city? Is there any hope for my country? Is there any hope for my world? What is the thing that will fix it? And too many of us in the church, what we've been doing is we've been running around with a gospel that basically consigns this world to destruction. Because we've told people that, you know, if you say that you believe in Jesus, God will get you out of here one day. It's wrong-headed. And if that is the story, and you need to hear this this morning, If the story is that God will just one day sort of whisk us all out and we'll go be with him in the sweet by and by, do you know what happens in that story? Death has the final word over our creation. That's God conceding territory that once belonged to him. But he kind of goes, ah, I guess it was too difficult after all. God doesn't concede territory ever. The project that God is in the middle of, uh, middle of right now is a reclamation project. Brothers and sisters, he's getting it back. He's getting families back. He's getting communities back. He's getting cities back. He's getting the great halls of power back. He's getting countries back. He's getting this whole thing back. That's our hope. That's what we're looking for. And the knowledge of this, that this is where we're going and this is what we've been giving. Do you know what it does to us? It makes us buoyant and it makes us brave. It makes us the kind of people that because we know that death has been taken care of, because we know that sin and death in the grave, the back of them has been broken, we can rise up in the middle of history as a people of hope because we believe that God is at work in history to bring about the kingdom. I need somebody to give me an amen. It's going to help me out here this morning. Okay, thank you very much for that. It makes us buoyant and it makes us brave. People are fond of quoting the great Martin Luther King Jr. He has this wonderful thing that he said way back in the middle of the civil rights movement where he said that the moral arc of the universe is long, he said, but it bends towards justice. And I love that. That's a statement about where our world is heading, that our world is not just heading to collapse and catastrophe and destruction, 
but it's heading to a place that's characterized by justice and righteousness and peace. And one of the things that I've noticed over the last several years is that secular people more and more are claiming that statement. They're going, oh yeah, isn't that, you know, the moral arc of the universe is long and it's been toward justice. But the thing that we know about Dr. King is that that was not for him just a belief in a secular utopia. King believed that the moral arc of the universe was long and it bent towards justice because he also believed that there was a strong arm that was bending the moral arc of the universe towards justice. Guys, it's our faith in Jesus Christ, crucified, died, and raised to life again, that makes us strong to confront the evils of our world. It's God's arm that bends the universe towards justice. King one day, this was December 1956, he was preaching to a packed house, Holt Street Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, 10 months after the bus boycotts had started and they were realizing that the struggle of civil rights was already going to be long and arduous. And he said this to that packed crowd that day. He said, the belief that God is on the side of truth and justice comes down to us from the long tradition of our Christian faith. There is something at the very center of our faith which reminds us that Good Friday may occupy the throne for a day, but ultimately it must give way to the triumphant beat of the drums of Easter. Evil may so shape the events of our day and any day that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. Oh, now it's going to start to sing. But one day that same Christ will rise up and split history into A.D. and B.C. so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. That's our story. And so the voice thunders from heaven that I am the Alpha and the the beginning and the... It's Jesus triumphant. Jesus the Lord. Jesus who's overcome death. He is the one who surrounds all things. There is nothing that can happen to us that is not already addressed by the life of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ the Lord. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? That's our hope. That is our hope. It makes us buoyant and it makes us brave. I think about the funerals that I've been to over the years. A funeral earlier this year, one of my best friends, Jack Tistammer, a beautiful soul. Jack, a couple years ago, was diagnosed with an incurable brain tumor. And all along, we would get coffee and breakfast and lunch and hang out and talk and all along I would watch Jack, Jack fighting for his life and yet at the same time there was something in him that was buoyant, unafraid to face death and the closer Jack got to death the more courageous and the more clear-minded and clear-hearted he became. Where does that come from? It comes from a belief that this is our story, that there's a new heavens and a new earth coming and that we already are subjects of the resurrection life of God that's coming to the world. And I remember sitting in Jack's funeral, and for all of the tears that were cried, and there were so many, the loss of Jack, the loss of a great friend, the loss of a family member, it stung all of us. And yet the other thing that characterized that funeral that day is that there was great laughter and joy and hope. Because we believe that the separation from Jack is just for a moment. And we believe that what happened to Jack is not final. One day, Jack, at the sound of the living God, is going to leap up out of his grave. And he's going to walk again 
on this earth, reborn by the power of God. And so will you and me. And the weary world in the presence of God will rejoice. That's our hope. And when we lean into Jesus, we start tasting that hope here and now. That power begins to wash over our lives. Paul put it so beautifully when he said that if anybody is in Christ, Christ who is the new creation in flesh, if anybody is in Christ, it's new creation. Now, the old things have passed away. Everything now is becoming, it's becoming new. We're appreciating and realizing and experiencing the new creation even here. Stand with me, family. Brothers and sisters, you are the subjects of the new creation. God is speaking new creation over your life. Everything that has been disordered by sin, God is putting it back together again. His power is available. So I want you, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want you to think about those pieces of your life that just feel hopelessly disordered, those pieces of your life that just feel like the presence of God has fled, God is not there, it's hopeless, you need to consign it to the dustbin of history. I don't know what that is. But I want you now just to begin to offer it to the Lord. And I want you now to hear the shout, the shout from heaven. It is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. Behold, says the voice, I'm making it all new. And so, Lord, we trust you for that. We're asking this morning that you would forgive us of our unbelief that you'd wake faith up us in up again. I can't speak this morning. Faith up in us again. Make us your people, we pray. And now we make this together, our prayer of confession, our repentance. Say it with me, family. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as the Apostle Paul says, if anybody is in Christ, it's new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. If you can receive that this morning, let's give God praise. We say amen and amen. Let's sing this song of worship together and then I'll lead us to the table.
Brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Come on, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so it is. Somehow, Lord Jesus, you've claimed this. 
You have claimed this bread and you have claimed this cup and you have made them the means of your presence and your grace in our midst. This morning you stand among us, living one, with your eyes like blazing fire and your feet like burnished bronze. You stand among us, you who passed beyond death, you who stand beyond the grave, you who stand triumphant over sin and death. That's you and you're here. And we don't know how it works, but we trust that it is so because you said that it would be so. For we remember that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this and eat it because it's my body. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup, Lord Jesus, and you said, take this and drink all of you for this cup is my blood and it's poured out for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is among us. What you hold in your hand is not merely bread and cup. What you hold in your hand is the miracle of how God moves in among us. The vision of the new heavens and the new earth where God makes a dwelling among us, that's happening now. He's feeding us by his hand at his table. We don't know how it works, but we know that it's so because Jesus, the living one, said that it would be. Now, with your elements in your hand, I want you to do something. I want you to recognize that Jesus Christ is present to you. And I want you just to begin to let adoration rise in your heart and thanksgiving rise in your heart for his presence, for the gift of his life, for his goodness, for his favor. We recognize you, Lord Jesus, here. We hallow your name here. We plead for your kingdom here. We call upon you that your will would be done here. We ask that you would give us this day our daily bread here, your bread, the bread that you are from your hand here. We're asking that you would steer us clear from temptation, that you would make us a forgiving people, that you would triumph in every way in us here, Jesus. For the bread and the cup, your body and your blood, that's not the only place where you're present, but you're present in us too. And you intend to make us your body for the world. So do it here, we pray. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God. And they're given for the people of God. Let's receive them together, the bread. And the cup. And now let's sing it together. One day we will sing that song with all creation at the throne of God. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Now as you go from this place, brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Those of you that joined us online, we're so grateful to have had you with us. If you're new this morning, again, see us at Connect Central. We'd love to meet you. Go in God's grace, mercy, and peace.